I'm very excited because last time I interviewed this person, I, I thought it was quite newsworthy. And, um, and now the news is, back then it was kind of in a negative way, talking about uh, how nothing can get done in Minnesota. But now it's going to be a positive conversation, at least mostly, <laughs> because of the historic Minnesota legislative session. We have uh, the Speaker of the House of Minnesota, Melissa Hortman, Representative Melissa Hortman, on the line. Hi, Melissa. How are you doing, Todd? I'm doing well. How about you? Excellent. Uh, have you been able to relax at all since session let out? Yes, I'm really proud of what my garden looks like now. It's mostly weed-free. I'm very happy about that. Oh, right. Good. Finally, right? I had some time to do that. Um, yeah, because we, yeah. we, we've been having trouble getting uh, people to uh, to call in because everyone's on vacation. So, <laughs> so very much appreciate you taking taking some time out to give us a call. Um, I see that uh, Secretary Raimondo, the Secretary of Commerce, is in Minnesota right now, and uh, they're having a little shindig because of broadband being brought into Minnesota. I know that's something that. The uh, DFL has been trying to work on for 10 years or more. Uh, and w what did happen in the session with broadband in Minnesota? We dedicated $100 million of state money in addition to the several hundred million we had already been set up to receive from the federal government before this last allocation. And so with the new allocation, we really are going to be able to make substantial headway in getting border-to-border -border service. Yeah, I saw a presentation by uh, Secretary Raimondo where they have a new system where they can more accurately or, or totally accurately track what houses, what addresses have broadband currently and what houses don't have broadband. Uh, are you privy to that? I know this isn't your, you're not an expert on this, but are you privy to that here in Minnesota? I know one of the, well, one of the conversations we've been having is in terms of providing um, a certain base level of service to everyone or trying to get those speeds up. And, you know, both of those things compete with each other when you have limited resources. But thanks to the Biden administration and the last state budget surplus, we should be able to make progress on both speed and availability. Right. So do you have sort of a favorite or what you think might be the most um, uh, important type of uh, legislation that got through this session? There's so much to choose well, from. <laughs> sure. It's a very long list. You know, I've been at a few fundraisers and other kinds of functions with the lieutenant governor and the leader of the Senate and the governor lately, and we're all like, where do you start and where do you end when you talk about all the great things we did this session? Yeah. But I think about it in two ways. I think about the things that people can feel right away, and then I think about the things that will take longer for people to feel. The things that people will feel right away is driver's licenses for all. You know, for 20 years, there have been people living in fear that they will get pulled over for taking their child to the doctor's office right. or for driving to work and end up deported. And this is this is something that was very gratifying to move on quickly to a session. 
Another thing people will feel right away is the 55,000 people who have served their sentence of incarceration and have their right to vote back, and they're, they are able to vote in elections now. Um, another thing people will feel right away is the school lunches for children, so breakfast and lunch next year. I think one of the senators, I think it was Senator Heather Gustafson, called it a lunchbox tax cut. So for families who don't have to worry about, oh, shoot, did I refill my kid's lunch account? Or right. do we have any food I can pack a lunch today? All these children will just be getting breakfast and lunch next year. So those are the things we'll see right away. Right. Then there's things that will take longer to feel. And like most of the things we did in the budget, you won't feel immediately. You'll feel over time, like our investments in higher education, our investments in E12, and our investments in early childhood education. Over the next 10 to 15 years, as this generation ages, we will see the benefit of having three-year-olds who got great preschool and then they got a great learning opportunity when they were a four-year-old and then they got a great kindergarten opportunity. Right. That'll take longer to show and to feel. Yeah, also infrastructure takes some time to build, but um, that's kind of a mix because we're seeing work get starting to get done. We're seeing some of our roads that, that we hated to drive down suddenly being blocked off because they're going to get fixed. Um, but, uh, like lead out of pipes and things like that. There's a lot of important stuff that's just not that sexy to talk about that, uh, is just really, really important and had been neglected. A lot of infrastructure type of things that, um, how do you, how do you go about trying to message those types of things and spread the word, uh, to keep those in the front of people's minds as well? I think that people really get the investments in infrastructure. I mean, it isn't like as newsworthy as cannabis. I mean, that seemed to be the thing that reporters glommed onto and wanted to get the play-by-play. But right. the, people understand the, the difference in their lives that good infrastructure makes. Not, you know, not having to worry that their children are ingesting lead through lead pipes or not having to worry that their wastewater treatment plant is going to fail. Um, or that the roads that they drive on won't be in the condition that they want for their car. I think people were really ready for us to invest in infrastructure after this last winter when we had some of the worst freeze and thaw cycles that we've seen in decades here in Minnesota. Yeah, I just, uh, I just, you know, a lot of people don't think about and don't even really know, you know, they've never really been told in their whole lives. You don't learn about it in school, like, you know, the, the uh, wastewater treatment plant in your town. So, you know, as, as important as it is, it's, uh, it's just harder to point out to people that, hey, you know, that takes a lot of uh, time and money to take care of those things. And the DFL got it done this session. So, um, but yeah, the... It's more accessible, you know, when we leave school, you're right, we don't really learn about wastewater treatment plants or, like, the cost of asphalt um, in our K-12 system. But then when you buy your first house or you're renting your first home that you have to maintain yourself and you start to understand the importance of maintenance, um, you know, as an adult, and, and when we get these paychecks and it's not that exciting to fix the roof or to get a new window to replace one that's 30 years old. But we all understand that our investments will degrade in value if we don't maintain them. So that's like 
that's a great conversation for me to have when I'm at the doors, when I'm talking to somebody who doesn't think they're super interested in politics and they're they're kind of just a practical, down-to-earth person. Mm-hmm. I can talk about preserving the assets of the state as a responsible, you know, little C conservative, fiscally conservative thing to do. Yeah, I when I ran, as you know, I ran for the state house, and you helped me a lot when I was running for the state house years ago. And it was I found it really fascinating the things that you kind of end up learning when you're going to be a, an elected official. And I never even became an elected official, but uh, even as a candidate, you know, learning about infrastructure things that people don't think about. You know, you're going to have a town here. You don't want uh, the you know, the outhouse to be uh, right by the drinking water and things like that. And you need to, you need to make up rules and um, say one thing I wanted to talk to you about one of the, I, I don't, I don't remember the last time that we were finishing the session on time and everything was done and there was no drama. How did you go about doing that? You, you obviously were a huge part about the processes that went on this session that, obviously were way different than pretty much any past session for probably at least 20 years here in Minnesota. How did you do that? Yeah, we, <laughs> we worked as a team. You know, sometimes in the past, the House and the Senate have treated each other like one of them's the Vikings and the other one is the Packers. And instead of taking that kind of approach and worrying about, you know, did the Senate version or the House version make it to the governor's desk, we just worked as a team, an absolute team, with the governor's office. And the, the House members and the Senate members weren't trying to one-up each other um, or, like, spring surprises. Nobody sprung any surprises on anyone. And so I think it's good for the people of Minnesota to have relatively um, boring people running government. So yeah. Senator Kerry Kusick and I... Neither one of us are people who really seek out the spotlight. We don't want to ride a dramatic roller coaster during the session. We know what the job is. We knew how to structure the work and schedule the work so that it would be done on time. And then we just executed together completely as a team. Yeah. How much of that work had to be done even before session began? Well, we started coordinating um, right after the election. So um, both she and I got elected leader two days after the election. You know, you go to caucus, you're pretty bleary-eyed on the Thursday after the election. And that evening, typically, is when caucus leaders are elected. The Mm -hmm. very next day, she and I met with Governor Walls and his staff and started plotting out and planning the the schedule for the session. So we knew in November and December that we wanted to end on time. You know, with the Democratic trifecta, if we didn't end on time, nobody would uh, cut us any slack for that. They would say, okay, hey, Democrats, we gave you total control of state government. Show us what you can produce. And so we knew, first and foremost, like on any job, you show up on time, you do the work, and you end on time. And both of us knew the last time that had happened was in the last Democratic trifecta, 2013 and 2014. So we we were very intent on uh, making sure we put a lot of deadlines in place ahead of the real deadline, which is the very end of session. We put, like, a lot of mini deadlines 
in place so people would have to make the progress they needed to to end on time. Yeah, so that's it's very interesting. How how then involved were all of the players, basically all of the, uh, on your side, the House members, how involved were they then in being a part of that? Were, were you thinking of issues, uh, you know, like say a certain bill and, and then thinking of somebody to be the author of that bill? Or were, was, was that, how, how involved were you in that process as opposed to just House members bringing bills, you know, to the House? Well, that's the part I'm most proud of is the way that we scheduled things and the way we set up the session. We put the power back in the hands of the 201 lawmakers. And, you know, you had seen way too many sessions where the leadership at the end was the blockade for everybody else getting their work done by not having those global budget targets until the month of May. So because we picked the global budget targets in March, then we completely liberated all of the committee chairs and the members to do the work of putting those bills together. And they really decided what was in those bills. Mm-hmm. Would those bills be? As soon as the, the House and Senate conferees came to agreement, then the bills were done. And as soon as all that got done, we could close up the session. So I think, you know, too often in my career, I've seen leaders, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, uh, hold too much of the power yeah. uh, in the corn profit and saying like, well, you know, I want to make sure my fingerprints are on everything. And what what I did is I just trusted our members to to do the work. We had done so much of it over the last four years where the Democrats have been in control in the Minnesota House. We passed paid family medical leave. We passed right. cannabis legal institution. Um, we passed substantial investments in education and health care. However, right. we couldn't get those things through the Republican Senate. So it was pretty easy for us to pick up those bills and just keep working with the people who had been doing the work over the last four years. Right. And uh, some of the things that are newer, um, like paid family and medical leave, you know, it's been being worked on for, for more than a decade. And uh, some of the things that that were newer that were being added. Did you have instances where more than one House member, sort of simultaneously without realizing the other, is working on trying to get a certain bill? Um, you know, like the coordination because yeah. there were just so many bills, and and so how did you how do you deal with that? Well, there were some bills like that. Absolutely. Reproductive freedom was one of those issues. But we have a Reproductive Freedom Caucus. It's led by Lindsay Port in the Senate and Representative Kali Herr in the House. And so Senator Dietzik and I worked closely with the Reproductive Freedom Caucus to make sure that we had really strong authors for each of the bills in the House and the Senate The other thing we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that the people who carried those bills that we were moving quickly had the time and attention to dedicate to the multiple hearings that they would need to, Mm -hmm. to get those bills through. So in some cases, we didn't pick the more senior members or the more experienced members because those folks were chairing committees. A really great example is the Reproductive Freedom Defense Act that Representative Esther Agbaje carried for our team. Uh, she's not a chair of a committee, but she's a really strong player. And because she w- didn't have to worry about setting up a committee 
and getting that all undertaken, she was able to work her bill through the process rapidly in January. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it's very interesting. I mean, it was quite an orchestra. You you were sort of the conductor of a of a large orchestra. And uh, we'll say we we need to take a short break. Would you be able to stay on a few more minutes? Sure. Okay, great. Let's take a short break and come back and uh, finish uh, our, our talk with uh, Speaker of the House in Minnesota here, uh, Representative Melissa Hortman. I'm Todd Mickelson. Um, trying to keep names straight in my head. I'm tripping over my words. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We'll be right back. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're listening to the Matt McNeil Show. Todd Mickelson, me, sitting in for Matt because he's on vacation. And I get to interview the Minnesota Speaker of the House, my friend Melissa Hortman. Hi, Melissa. Hey, how's it going, Todd? Good. Um, so one thing I remember from a few years ago was I, I could have swore that the Republicans here in Minnesota were in favor of legalizing marijuana, say, eight, nine years ago. Do you remember that, too? No, uh, I don't really, because, you know, what, what it has happened over my time in the House is that the Republicans have gotten really so far out of step with the mainstream of Minnesotans. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there was, I think, way back, maybe 20 years ago, some libertarians yeah. in the Republican Party who really believed in, you know, uh, letting people have the freedom to make those kinds of decisions for themselves. But we, in the 2010 election, got a bunch of Tea Partiers. Yeah. And yeah. then in the 2016 election, you know, with Donald Trump uh, getting elected, we got like a whole new breed of Republican. Yeah. And... You know, I just think that they're, to be honest, less less freedom loving and more into um, control and almost like too many of them cult worship of Donald Trump. Yeah, and also I think now they're they were against it this session because they've been putting up fake marijuana candidates to try and cheat on right. elections, and now they can't do that anymore. And um, yep. So here uh, another thing. Minnesota has been being being under the microscope or or uh, in the spotlight, I should say, of a lot of the country because of the work that you did. And I saw you on the Alex uh, um, uh, MSNBC. Uh, I can't remember her last name right now, but I saw you on a national TV show. Just kind of, I didn't know you were going to be on, and I just happened to see you on it. And right after the session and uh i think you were at, you, you've been to the white house and things like that and you say you know you don't look for the spotlight but the spotlight found you so how do you feel about that is that uh, is that a, a nice thing it, are you glad people are uh, looking at minnesota as an example it's been really gratifying and kind of fun. You know, when, when Governor Walls and Senator Dizek and I are together, we're usually hard at work solving tough problems. And recently we've kind of been able to um, be together and celebrate the victories. And really, you know, the three of us get a lot of credit, but it's really a lot of people who've been working over decades. What, what I keep saying about this session is it's the biggest, longest-running group 
project that I've ever been involved in. Because when you think about, for example, driver's licenses for all, when Tim Pawlenty got rid of that way back in 2003, there were activists who got organized and started working on that right away. And they had success in this 2023 session. There were folks who figured out Minnesota should have paid family medical leave, you know, way back in the middle 2000s. They started working on it. And so when you look at all the people, yourself included, who have run for office, who have helped people who run for office, because they believe in these things that we were able to accomplish, it really was a group project. So. Yeah. You know, I think Governor Walls and Senator Dietzik and I, we feel like all of us together, we got an A++ on this group project, and we feel blessed that we had the opportunity to to see these circumstances come together. You know, a Democratic trifecta, a big state surplus, and an experienced governor, experienced speaker, and really Carrie Dietzik also experienced, but in the legislature for in the, in the Minnesota Senate for more than 10 years. So we were really ready to go, and um, we, we worked well together with both the legislative team, but also that vast team of Minnesotans who make legislation happen right. by telling their stories and working on campaigns and getting involved. Yeah, I worked with the Coalition for Paid Family and Medical Leave for a few years as a small business owner, and um, and got small business owners to go testify. I testified myself quite a bit, and... Uh, those groups have been together for such a long time. I, it's, uh, I wonder what's going to happen then to some of these groups because, you know, now they caught the car, so <laughs> their job is done. Right? It's, it's, uh, it's, well, it's hard to almost not feel a little sad, like, oh, we're not going to be working on this together anymore, <laughs> you know? Well, I would say the hard part comes now, which is implementation, you know, um, so... Definitely uh, legalizing cannabis was important, but now is the part where we have to get those convictions off of people's records, people who have suffered under the prohibition policies. And so um, as the legis- as the next few months move forward in the next few years, we have to all work together to make sure that the intent of the legislation is carried out. And that's right. a much bigger job even yeah. than passing it in some cases. Well, and I would think, too, just messaging, keeping the messaging going, because, you know, Republicans are just complaining about absolutely everything. And, uh, you know, they complain about paid family and medical leave. And somebody needs to keep people aware of what paid family and medical leave is and how it's benefiting them so that they're not only hearing the negative uh, messaging about it. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I've talked to the governor about and Senator Dizik is that we had such a successful session and so many things passed that we really now have this hard job of explaining to Minnesotans everything that happened in this session. You know, some people are political junkies, right? They listen to AM 950 and conversations like this. But a lot of people are thinking more about whether they have cat food or not than mm-hmm. um, what happened at the legislative session. You know, like life is busy. And yes. so we've got to go out and make sure Minnesotans know all the great things that happened this year. Yes. And uh, and we all need to do that together as much as we can. That's what I try and tell people, even here when I'm when I'm on the radio or or whatever. You know, I'm just trying to keep people informed so that they know how to argue when they when they get in an argument uh, and how to tout things. Um, 
you know, I, I mean, there has been a lot. The one good thing I, I would think, and I wonder if you think or have noticed this as well, kind of because of the the uh, uh, sort of darkness that has become politics for the last seven or eight years, it seems now that more people are informed, keeping themselves informed and paying more attention of things that they used to not pay attention to, they used to take for granted, and now, um, you know, because everybody's gotten so worked up, it, I see it as a positive thing that people are informing themselves more and better. Do you see that from your point of view? Yeah, I think that um, when Donald Trump got elected, that took some people by surprise. And then the next four years, how that unfolded, what, there were many shocking incidents. But I think the most shocking thing to the public conscience was the insurrection on January 6, 2021. And, mm-hmm. the, you know, the 22 election that we just had was the first time that voters got to register their opinions about that. And I think what people said at the polls in 2022 and what they told our candidates at the doors is, I am concerned about American democracy. I've always been concerned about protecting democracy overseas. And, you know, we hear about dictators. But here in this country, I didn't think that I would have to take personal responsibility for making sure that democracy was protected in this country. And I think that voters do feel a responsibility to participate more and to listen more and make sure that we don't end up in a situation like that again. Yeah, so you you think that was probably, uh, if you sort of did a poll, that would be the top issue that Minnesotans... Uh, we're voting on in 2022? Well, we did a lot of polling, and there were four things that popped out in 2022. Choice, gun violence prevention, climate action, and protecting democracy. Those were the four very, very hot issues. Then there's three issues that we always poll about and are always very high priorities for, for Minnesotans. And that's investing in public education, affordable and accessible health care, and an economy that works for everyone. You know, a fair day's pay for a fair day's work, decent benefits. But yeah, democracy really jumped off the page when we went out and and did our polling to kind of guide some of our message work in our in our written communications to voters and our, you know, digital and, and our audio communications on radio. We wanted to know what was on their mind, and they certainly brought up democracy. Yeah, yeah, we live in interesting times, but uh, you know, I, there's a there's a huge silver lining, and I think that's kind of what we're talking about right now is that we've got we've got a more educated electorate, and we've got uh, a higher participation in the elections, and and Gen Z is informing themselves because it's they're running for their lives. <laughs> they're they're voting for their lives. And uh, so Absolutely. we have... Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, whether it's gun violence prevention or like look at today in Minnesota, it is very clear that our planet is on fire. Yeah. And young people have been asking politicians to do something about the climate for a long time. But really that last year during the summer, we had these air quality days. And I think that, you know, As candidates, we want to get people revved up to participate and vote in the election. But the skies today, that's the kind of thing that gets people revved up and voting in an election. That's true. That's true. Um, Yeah, so again, silver lining, uh, even even with climate change, but it's, you know, it should have happened decades ago, but what are you going to do? 
There's so much. Uh, there were a couple uh, very interesting things I was going to go into with you, but I've already kept you like two times longer than I told you I was going to keep you. So uh, it would be so nice to talk to you for the for the whole rest of the day here. But I should let you go and get back to your garden, apparently, is what you're doing today, right? <laughs> <laughs> and a few other things. A few, uh, there's definitely some continuing work on uh, both the campaign side and the policy side. But it was a real pleasure to talk to you, Todd, and I do look forward to coming back again and talking to you some more different time. Great. All, you're, you're welcome at any time. Uh, so, And thank you so much for staying with us overtime here. Uh, that's the Speaker of the House of Minnesota, Representative Melissa Hortman, and she is a, kind of a nationwide star at the moment for her work that in this last session, it was a historic job. So thank you for all you do, and I'm thanking you from all Minnesotans, even the ones who think they disagree with you. <laughs> they're they're going to have something, whether they know it or not, that's going to make their life better because of the work that you and the and your coalition did. So thank you very much, and hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. All right. You too. And we need to take a break here at AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show. We'll be right back. Yeah, man. 